Um, if you've got your Bible, go to Ephesians 5 and 1 John chapter 1. Good to see everybody. <clears throat> Thanks for letting me be out of town last week. It was lovely. I had a great time. Thank you for asking. And um, thanks again, Nathan. <laughs> I'm seeing a pattern here. You're the best, man. So if you've got your Bibles, yeah, first uh, Ephesians 5 and then First John uh, 1. Let me find that in mine here as well. And so today we're going to continue. We're, we're continuing to talk about discipleship. Um, and I hope that that... Uh, I hope that word hasn't started to lose meaning. Um, I hope it's not just a buzzword, because in our in our world, if if you use a word too much or if you overuse it, it kind of loses its meaning, you know. And so I hope that it hasn't just become like white noise to you. Oh yeah, discipleship, blah blah blah. Oh, make disciples, sure. Oh, great commission, whatever. I hope that it, that the meaning sticks with it. You know, because like uh, if you if you misuse something, it, it loses its meaning. Like the word love in our culture doesn't really mean anything right now. You know how I can say you could ask me, do you love your wife? What's my answer? Yes. And then I could in the same sentence say, man, and I love donuts and both are acceptable. Both are appropriate. Right. And so even in our world, the word love doesn't mean anything. Kind of the word hate doesn't mean anything. The word hate should be used, but we need to be careful what we say we hate. You know what I mean? Oh, I hate this traffic. No, you don't. You don't. No, that's an improper use of that word. You know, I dislike this traffic, you know, and there are some things that I hate. Like I hate, um, I hate being late to things when someone's waiting on me. Like I hate that. You know what I mean? I hope that you hate um, injustice. You know, I hope that you hate apathy right? I, I hope that you do hate these things, but I hope that you don't hate cats. I hope you don't hate dogs. You know, I hope you're like, I prefer dogs over cats, right? And so point being, in, in our culture, in our world, in our life, sometimes words, they lose meaning if we use them too much. And so I hope that even the word discipleship still, still carries weight with it. Okay? And that we still understand when we say we're here to make disciples, that does not mean we're trying to make church attenders. Okay? Uh, when we say we want to be a disciple of Jesus, that does not mean that I'm going to go to church and I'll, I'll attend a small group once a month or something. Right? Um, so what we've said is we need to define the word disciple and we, dis we define disciple as a, a growing worshiper, learner, and follower of Jesus Christ. Right? And so we <clears throat> talked about what it means to worship the Lord and that, that worshiping really is, it's kind of a humbling experience, isn't it? Like, I, I want, sometimes I want to just put mirrors up here so you can watch you guys worship. Because it's, it's, it's interesting because what's one of the most humbling things you could ask a man to do? Yes. Like, have you ever noticed how ridiculous? Ridiculous that this is the thing that the God want that the God that the Lord wants us to do. He want, He says when you gather together, I want you to sing song. Right? Most of the men in this room are like, "Are you kidding me?" You know what I mean? It's like if I want to get guys over to my house, I don't say, "I'm having a big party." What are you going to do? We're going to stand around and sing. You know, like how absurd, but it's a, it's a act of humility. It's an act of saying, man, this is something that it, maybe I'm not, ex it's not something I'm even good at or excited about, but I am going to humble myself before the Lord in this act. 
right? And so that's why I think it's even perfect that God chose, hey, I want you to sing. Because you want to talk about being humbled, it's usually humbling for most of us to sing. Not everybody has the voice of a beautiful songbird like Tristan, you know? Some of us are just normal uh, people. Where is he? Is he in here? I can't make fun of him while he's not here. Then it really is mean. Um, Okay, yeah, probably so. Um, And so we want to grow in our worship, and part of growing in our worship grows us into uh, humility, right? Um, And even when we worship, there should be some element of kind of reverence, you know? We need to prepare our hearts uh, to worship um, the Lord. And so even, you know, even when we're worshiping, like, um, and I mentioned this, it's like, hey guys, let's put the coffee cups down while we're worshiping the God of the universe let, let's just set the coffee cups aside. And, you know, we don't need to get a, a grab another donut while we're worshiping. Like, it's okay to have a time and place set aside of like, man, I need to set my sights on the Lord. I need to learn to revere uh, the Lord, right? Um, and, then, and then we said, what did we say? Growing worshiper, uh, learner. And we talked about part of being a disciple is we're growing in our learning um, of Jesus Christ and that we're pursuing um, uh, knowledge of him. We're pursuing intimacy with him, you know, and that's not that that's rote and mechanical, you know, and the reason I say that is because I've been married to my wife. It'll be 14 years next month. I'll pause for applause. Give me some whoops or something. I haven't screwed this up. That, yeah, thank you. And so we've been married uh, coming on 14 years. We've been together coming on 17, something like that. And every week I still learn more about her, right? Men that have been married a long time, right? I'm not just making this up, right? I am still learning her. And, I, and it, when the more I learn about her, the more I love her, the more I fall in love with her, right? And so when we talk about learning about Jesus, don't think it's just like, oh, I've got to memorize a Bible verse. You know, it's like, no, it, it, it pushes us into greater intimacy with her the same way it pushes me into greater intimacy uh, with my wife, you know? And I know things about her that, that none of y'all will ever, ever know, ever know. You know, and that's because we're, we're so connected so deeply. Um, and then we, the third part is we said we want to be a growing follower of Jesus. We really want our lives to look different, you know. Um, <clears throat> and someone mentioned to me a couple weeks ago, and, and I'm not trying to be mean when I say this. A lot of people say, especially in our Christian culture, there's tons of people that are going to say, man, Jesus has changed my life. And, and, and to be real, sometimes I think we can look at them and go, how? And this may sting for a second. Jesus has changed my life. How? Like, you'll know a tree by its fruit, but when I look at you, aside from I attend church, how is your life drastically different than the world's? Like, I I look at the way you manage your calendar. I look at the way you spend your money. I I look at the way you you run your family. I look at the way you view your job. How, how is your life different than Jesus? If we're truly following Jesus, then our life should be changing as we move on. You know, it should be regularly uh, uh, saying yes to him and saying no to the world. That's part of following Jesus is turning from the way. And so anyways, 
man, someone mentioned that to me and it was super challenging as we say we're following Jesus and we say my life has changed and sometimes we need to look at ourselves and say, has it really? Or do we, have we deceived ourselves, right? And all of that with our definition of disciples says we want to be growing in those things, right? Um, and so even last week we looked at uh, Luke chapter 8, and you don't have to turn there, but this is the parable that, that Jesus talks about, and he's, he's talking, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, uh, he was speaking to his apostles and to a bunch of other people there present, and he used this illustration. He says, imagine a guy is, is, is sowing seed, and he throws it out, and, and he, he says there's four types of soil. He says some of the seed lands on the path, and I hope you remember this, and, and a path is... The soil is fine, but the difficulty is that the path has been packed down, you know. And so Jesus says, sometimes the seed of truth, the truth that the gospel goes out, and it lands on a heart that it is hardened, you know. And that's what a path is, is it's been walked on, it's been trampled on. Um, and and, and let, me, um, let me say this, is there anything wrong with the soil no. Is there anything wrong with a seed? No. What's the issue? It's the hardness of this soil. And so he says, there's some, you know, sometimes the seed as it gets thrown, it lands on uh, this path. And because the soil so hardened, that seed doesn't do anything. It doesn't even take root. Um, and then he says, and then there's some more soil that a guy throws seed. And he says, some of the seed lands among the soil and the soil's good, but if you remember, he said this soil is rocky soil, and he says this soil is filled with all sorts of rocks, um, <clears throat> and so he says as a result, when the seed lands in this soil, what it does is it goes down, and yes, it, the the roots go grow in, and yes, it grows up, but only for a time, and he says why is that? He says because. The important thing is not what you see on the surface, but what's the important thing about a plant? Are the roots. And he says, because this heart is filled with so much rocky stuff, he says the roots don't go deep. The foundation really isn't very good. And as a result, that plant won't last and that plant won't bear fruit. And then he says, and there's some seed that landed, and he said, among the thorns. And I went in my backyard and got some thorns. And yeah, these are actual real thorns. You can check them later. And, and the thing about this soil is he says, this is some people, they hear the truth of God. And, and notice he says, the roots are good. The plant has good roots. But as it grows up, he says, over time, that plant gets choked out by these uh, thorns. And, and he compares, he says, these thorns are like things of the earth. He says, it's like, uh, the deceitfulness of wealth. He says it's like things of the earth that, that over time we, we, we sacrifice fruit uh, for these false things, right? And then he finally says, hey, and some of the seed lands on good soil. And he points out the soil is good because the soil is good, because the soil has been prepped. He says the roots go down deep. And then as it grows up, he says it bears fruit. And, and I want to remind you guys, part of being a disciple, again, please don't lose the meaning of that word. Part of being a disciple means we make disciples. Part of a growth of a plant means that it makes fruit. It bears fruit. 
and it makes other plants. We can't forget that. Part of growing, uh, sometimes when we talk about growing as a Christian, we think it's all about who? Me. And we think falsely that growth as a Christian means I just need to take in as much as I can. And, and I need to keep growing. And, and we, don't, we can get to where we don't actually focus on outreach. We don't actually look at other people. We, we don't actually evangelize because we have this false idea of, well, I'm not ready yet. I'm not there yet. I need more, a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. And what you are becoming is you're becoming the Dead Sea. You know, uh, over in Israel, you know the Dead Sea. The reason it's called the Dead Sea is because it has water flowing in, but nothing flows out. And the thing about the Dead Sea is it is absolutely packed with nutrients. You know that? The water has tons of nutrients in it, but it has so much nutrients and it doesn't flow out that literally nothing can live there. And this is such a clear picture of a Christian who is not making Christians. This is such a clear picture of a disciple who is not discipling is it's all about me and it's all about, I've got to get this fixed. I have to get this uh, taken care of. It's me, 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 me. And I promise you'll blink and it'll be 40 years and you will be a salty, caved in on yourself, bitter person. And there's no life flowing from you. You just suck it all in. This, uh, you don't have to raise your hand and certainly don't look at anyone in the room. But do you know that person that when they walk into a room, they just suck the life out of it? The people that walk in and it's, it's always about what can I get out of this situation? What, you know, they have no interest in growing others. They have no interest in making disciples versus we're called to be more like the Sea of Galilee, which the Sea of Galilee is a little bit north of the Dead Sea in Israel. And the thing about the Sea of Galilee, and, and, and this is pretty cool, I'm not making this up, is that the same uh, source feeds the Sea of Galilee that also feeds the Dead Sea. And the Sea of Galilee has rivers flowing in, but it also has rivers flowing out. So it's not just consuming. It says, no, I've, I've, I've got to be pouring into others. And the Sea of Galilee is just streaming with life. All around it is green. The soil is fresh. There's, there's fish all in that thing right? And so be a Sea of Galilee Christian, not a Dead Sea Christian. I hope you accept that challenge because um, I promise you if you're a Dead Sea Christian, you'll wake up one day and you'll, you'll look around and there's nothing but death around you. And if you go look at the Dead Sea, packed full of nutrients, but it is in a desert land. The soil is bad. Nothing grows there, right? Um, Anyways, and so all that to say, when we talk about growing, when we talk about our hearts being in this good soil, um, please remember that picture of, man, our foundation must go deep. We must have a good theology in Christ. If we don't have a good foundation, over time, something's going to go uh, bad. The foundation is so important. I'm building a house right now for some people, and we're building, um, it's a pier and beam house, and so it's my first one to do uh, that way. Normally, you just do a slab. And so as we're building this house, um, it's got a pretty big footprint, and they wanted to have a lot of storage up top, kind of the attic area. And so um, I'm, I'm thinking, and, and we were kind of in a rush to get this project started. And so I get, got the drawings together, and I was like, man, you're going to have a lot of attic space, you know? And even the, the attic, the ceiling joist, we planned on using two by eights, which is standard for attic. That's fine. 
and we had designed um, the piers or the foundation. It's made out of wood. We had designed it for a one-story house, and it was fine. And so we get everything going, and um, we get the foundation built. I mean, they've buried tons. I think think it was around like 60 of these piers, and they got our decking on, and and then we went back into talking to the people, and they're like, hey, we think we may, we may want to make that second floor an option for being like livable space, okay? Which is fine, but I said, hold on, time out. <laughs> the foundation we've built upon will not support a two-story house, right? And so we went back and talked about it, and we had to change some of the framing, and we even had to go back, and, and because they wanted to do that with an option of having a live load on the second floor instead of it just being an attic, what we had to do is go back in and we had to reinforce that foundation. We had to change that foundation because if we had built a home upon a false foundation, it would have crumbled. I'm going to repeat that. If we had built a home on a false foundation, it would have crumbled. It'd be like a man that built his house on sand instead of stone. I just made that up. That's a good one. Write that down. I'm just kidding, Tasman. Jesus said that, right? So uh, the importance of a good foundation. And man, this is the thing. When the soil's good, uh, we're going to see um, growth. Um, what are, and we've talked about, okay, so if we're talking about growing as a disciple, what do we have to have? Man, the soil has to be good, right? Um, and even uh, last week or two weeks ago, we just talked about soil is, and this is the reality too, guys, is remember the Lord has given us lots of tools uh, to work the soil, you know? Um, some of y'all, you, you need to pick up and you need to put to death uh, you need you have things in your life that are thorns. You know you have things in your life that you are giving yourself over to these. And this is this is biblical. This is Ephesians chapter four that Paul says we need to put to death some of these things, right? And so yes, we pray for them, but sometimes we also pick up a sword and we need to hack these things off at the root and tear out the root, right? Some of us, we need to pick up our tools and we need to go through it and we need to start finding these, these rocks and getting them out of our hearts. And, and some of y'all, just to be honest, and actually I think it's all of us, certain parts of our heart, if we're really honest, and I know this is Sunday morning, so we're usually not, just sorry, that was, wow, that was jaded. Whoo, sorry, wow, where did that come from? If we're honest, all of us have parts of our heart that we have hardened. All of us have parts of our heart that have grown calloused and that is not receptive to truth, right? Don't stare at me like you don't know what I'm talking about, right? Don't all of us have areas in our heart that we have grown hardened against the Lord or we have grown hardened against, against others. And some of us, we need to take out our tools and we need to start working that soil, man. I mean, even yesterday morning, a bunch of... Several of the men, we went out to KLA and out there and we met Joel and Joel's going to build this new building thing. And um, it was pretty cool because yesterday was, I hope y'all caught this, was a great image of, he's like, hey, I want to put this building right here. And where he pointed, it was like just overgrown like crazy, right? I mean, it was forest. I don't mean weeds this tall. I mean, Todd, some of those trees, some of those saplings, I mean, some of them were as big around you know, as a volleyball, some of them were 25, 30 feet tall, right? And so what we did yesterday is we didn't start building the building, right? What did we do yesterday? We started clearing the land. We took tools and notice we didn't sit around and pray about it all day. (laughs) 
What did we do? Of course, we prayed at the beginning. We said, Lord, guide our hands. Please let us leave with the amount of fingers that we have on our hands right now as, as we, when we leave. But yesterday, what we did, we picked up chainsaws. We picked up, I took my little machete. We had loppers. Uh, we had a couple sawzalls going. And we went to work. And we hacked away at this stuff. And when we were done, now here's the question. Is the soil ready yet? Not yet. But next is Joel needs to come in and he's going to work that soil, right? And so this is what we always pray for is, Lord, please, maybe the Lord needs to do a work in your life to work the soil, but we've got to let him as well. And there's sometimes where, to be honest, the Lord wants to work the soil in our hearts, but we've got to also pick up the tools, right? And some things we need to put to death, you know? And some of us need to just go to work and say, God, this area of my heart is so hardened, is so calloused right um, and I, I think some people we get you know we get calloused uh, some people actively harden their hearts you know um, I think a lot of uh, just to be honest a lot of men I think we walk around with really hardened hearts okay um, a lot of men uh, we've just lost heart you know um, maybe it was uh, something that happened in your past you know, a lot of people, this is their story, is that someone in the church really hurt them or, or that uh, someone in a position of leadership really hurt them. And especially as men, I can't speak for the women, as men, what do we do? We harden our hearts. Why do we do that? It's self-protection, right? I mean, just paint this story that someone really hurt you and what do you do? You say, that will never happen again. Has anyone been in that situation? That maybe you share your heart with someone, maybe you open yourself up to a person or even the church, and man, you get destroyed. And what do we do? What's our self-defense mechanism? What do we do? We harden our hearts and we build up calluses. Or, or honestly, it's going to get real, real quick here. Sorry, this is a little heavy. Maybe it was your dad growing up, you know. Uh, maybe he just, maybe that man never said, I love you. Maybe that man never once looked at you and said, I'm proud of you. Maybe your dad never looked at you and said, man, you're a good man. Maybe your dad was just horrible to you. And what, and what do we do usually? And again, I'm, I'm speaking for the men, but I think it's true of women. What do we do? We lock up our hearts and they become rock hard. And we say that I will never get hurt like that again, right? And especially as men, I was reminded this last week at this, um, uh, the men's thing I, I went to. Men, we handle a hardened heart very poorly. We handle our broken hearts very poorly. Usually what men do is we will then isolate ourselves. Um, some, sometimes we say, I will never need somebody ever again. I will never need another person, right? Um, and what the gospel calls us to do is he says, man, the, Jesus wants to take this heart of stone and he wants to turn it into fertile ground where when a seed hits this, the seed just takes off, right? And so this is a big thing of what we said two weeks ago is, Lord, Jesus, show us where our hearts have been hardened. And, and then the real question is, are we going to let God be God? Or are we going to say, nope, it's, it's not going to happen? And so that's kind of a, a catch-up. Um, 
is that we want to ask that question, God, where have I been hardened? And this, this week, in just our time remaining, I want to talk about, okay, so if our heart is softened, softened if the soil is good, then, then when seed hits the soil, uh, I want to talk about what does it take for seed to grow? And today I want to talk about light. It takes light for seed to grow because where there's darkness, there won't be any growth, right? Um, where there's darkness, there won't be fruit. You know, we want to be people of, of fruit of the Spirit. We don't just want to see a plant grow. What do we want to see? Fruit. If you plant an apple tree, why did you plant an apple tree? Apples. Okay, some of y'all weren't sure. Nathan, I could tell I lost you there. If you plant an orange tree, what do you want? Oranges. Okay, still not there. That's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you plant a banana tree, what do you want? Banana. The, the purpose of growth is for fruit. And out of that fruit comes more plants, right? And so the purpose of growth isn't to just say, hey, there's my apple tree. The purpose of discipleship is to make more disciples. And that happens through there must be light. There cannot be darkness. And so look at Ephesians chapter 5. I just want to read through some things um, about light. You know, light appears all through the Bible. Uh, There's always this constant contrast between light and darkness. Um, Here's your Cliff Notes version. Light is good, darkness is bad. Uh, In the Bible, darkness is never good. Um, In Scripture, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and and He said, what? Let there be light. And out of that light came life. There was no life aside from light. There will never be life outside of light life, okay? And so I've got a couple things I want to just read through Ephesians 5 and just point out a few things and let the Bible be the Bible. So this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, um, Ephesians chapter 5. Just start in verse 8. So he's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to a Christian church, okay? And he's going to remind them where they've come from, and he's going to remind them who they are. So look at this. Just start in verse 8, and I'll just point out a couple things. He says, for you were once, what's the word? Darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. And so pause uh, there for a second. Remember, guys, this is an issue of identity, you know, um, through the Gospels, you're here. Sometimes uh, Jesus would say one of the I am statements in John is he said what? He says, I am the what? Okay, so what are we talking about today? Light. Okay, so let's try again. I am the light of the world, right? That's what Jesus says over and over. And at other points, don't miss this, Jesus looked at his apostles and he said, you are the light of the world right? And so again, you you know that verse in the Bible where it says, hey, you should be the light. Do you know that verse? There's not that verse. What does it say? It says, you are the light of the world, right? Don't believe that. We're never called to be light and be salt. We are told you are light. You are salt. Those verses don't exist, and that's a big difference. And so this is what Paul is saying. He's right right here. He's saying, hey, you are the light of God. It is inside of you, right? Don't forget, guys. I think 
Dadgummit. I think the, the two things that the church, you could, with a lot of churches, you could almost remove two things out of a lot of churches and they wouldn't change at all. You could almost take the Bible out of most churches and you could almost remove the Holy Spirit out of most churches. And most Christians, their life would change zero. If you took God's written word and if you took the Holy Spirit out, their lives would change not a bit. But guys, the Holy Spirit is alive in you if you're in Christ. Why is that? Because Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And if you have died to yourself and become a Christian, he now says, you are the light of the world. The Holy Spirit is alive in you. And you'll even hear Christians say, like, like here's the thing, guys. Remember, we, there's so many times, especially in relationships, that we play this game. There's tension between me and uh, Jason. We're, we're kind of arguing. And, and I go to, to Craig and I say, oh, Craig, I'm, I'm just so confused. Jason and I had this fight and I don't know what to do. And Craig, as a man of God, he's going to look at me and he's going to think of scripture and he's going to say, Russell, have you talked to, to Jason about it? And most of the time I say what? Well, no, I, I, I don't, I just don't know what to say, here's the th or I, I don't feel like I'm ready, or, and please, gosh, I, I, I hope we have this written on our hearts now. Here's the thing with words, guys. If Jason knows my heart, my words can be imperfect, right? And so if, if he is my friend, if he's my brother, if we are walking and doing life together, I'm no longer afraid of saying the wrong thing because he knows my heart. And so point being, what Craig would do is he'd probably look at me and say, Russell, you know what to do, don't we? Come on, guys. In, in this situation, when there's tension in relationships, let's, let's just, let's put all the cards on the table. Are, are we really lost or do we know what to do? Is, is God's light of truth speaking to us? Is he saying, Russell, go talk to Jason. Stop talking about him. Stop losing sleep over it. Go talk to your brother in Christ. And so many times you'll even hear Christians say like, yeah, I have this little voice that's telling me to do that. That's the Holy Spirit. That's not a little voice in your head. That is the Holy Spirit of God speaking truth to you, right? And guys, people who are not in Christ, they don't have that. They're walking in darkness, and so this is why Paul reminds us, this is why we must remind ourselves, guys, we have the light of Christ in us. We are the light. And we, we really need to stop playing the game of, ah, oh, what do we do here? I'm not, now, there are some situations that require counsel, but how many times, honestly, we know what to do, right? Are y'all just a bunch of saints in here? Like, is, are y'all perfect? How many times, like, I struggle with this, that I'm like, what do I do, Lord? And he says, Russell, you know what to do. And usually the answer is, you need to go talk to that person. And I'm like, oh, well, what if I text them? No, no. Oh, you want me to Snapchat them? No, you need to be face-to-face -face or phone call so he can hear the tone in my voice. Anyways, so verse 8, he says, you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And then look at this, this is interesting. He says, therefore live as children of light. And so two things are happening here, and they're not contradictory. He is both saying, you are the light, but we're also called to walk in the light, okay? If you have one without the other, you've got bad theology, 
okay? Because we can say, hey, I'm, I am the light, but never walk in it, right? And your life won't look any different than the world. Or we could not acknowledge that Jesus is alive in me and there's no light in me, and we could try to walk in the light. And, and that's just legalism. That's not having a relationship with the Lord. And so don't miss that. There is this kind of tension, but Paul says, hey, you are the light and continue to walk in that light, right? And this is why even as a disciple, we want to be followers of Jesus. When Jesus says, hey, we're going here, we say, okay, let's go. Where are we going? Let's do it. All right, uh, keep going. He says, verse nine, for the, uh, what's the word right there? Fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness um, and truth. And this is one that I kind of already mentioned this is, guys, remember, we want to be bearing fruit in our life. You know, uh, we want to be people, or at least I do. I want to be a person that would be described as the fruit of the spirit. You know, is am I a man that uh, has a life of love, of joy, of peace, patience, goodness? faithfulness, gentleness. The last one is self-control. Dadgummit. Like that's self-control. I want to be a man of self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, and so don't miss. He's saying, hey, man, the fruit of light consists in all goodness, uh, righteousness, and truth. Uh, Go on to verse 10. He says, and find out what pleases the Lord. Verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do um, is secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And so I want to say this. Verse 11, it says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of uh, darkness. Guys, remember, there is such a thing as false light. Uh, Jesus says that in Luke chapter 11. He says, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. There are such things as false light in our lives. There are several things in our lives that will be presented to us saying, hey, this will bring joy. This will bring peace. Uh, this will bring love. And in the end, it leads to what? Death. I mean, I would, I would say those are like the, the thorns um, in the soil. Uh, the, as we walk through life, we are, con- we are constantly bombarded with these. Is it just me or does everyone else have to fight off these thorns a lot? Is it just me that, uh, that I am constantly bombarded with, hey, here's, here's, man, Russell, do you really want to be happy? Come on, Russell. Do you, you know, why, why don't you just do, start doing, um, one of the big thorns that I struggle with, let me get real for a second, personal counseling session, thanks guys, appreciate it, is, is this thing of like, Russell, why don't you start building up and growing your business? Like, like why don't you change some things, change some logistics, change your strategy? Because Russell, dude, you can make some good money building houses. Come on, Russell. Now listen, what's it going to cost? It's going to cost a lot, by the way, right? Uh, it's, it, I will give of myself. Um, and a lot of times, guys that own businesses, their business actually owns them in the end. And so this is a thorn in my life of constantly, Russell, you want freedom? Just make more money. Just build a bigger business. You can do it. You're good at what you do. 
And, and I have to say, no, that in the end, that's going to end in death. Is there anything wrong with making money? No, of, of course not, right? Or, um, golly, how many, there's so many other thorns. Uh, hey, whoever you are, this won't be me, but um, it says, hey, man, think about your marriage. The spark's gone, isn't it? Right? The, the love that you originally felt with your spouse, it's not really there anymore, right? What if you trade him or her in for a younger, more exciting one? And, and then you'll be happy, right? And, and how does, does that end in fruit? No. You know, and I hope you see what Paul is saying here. He's saying, man, have uh, nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. These promise so much, but in the end they lead to death. And that's what Jesus says. He says, be careful, the light in you is not darkness. Because some of us are bowing down to false gods. Some of us are bowing down to, yes, I will give myself to this thing, and this is the thing that validates me whether it be another person, a relationship, a job. And, and guys, keep this in mind. If you give anything the ability to validate you, you also give it the ability to what? Invalidate you, right? And this is the struggle for so many of us. Are the, these fruitless deeds, we give them the ability to validate us, but then they also have the ability to invalidate us whether it be any relationship. Um, So keep going. He says, but rather, oh, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And so this is uh, one of the big things that I I want us to talk about just for a minute is that, guys, some of us in our lives, and we have to do a little soul searching here. Some of us, man, our hearts, they are hardened. Like they are rock hard in certain areas and we're, and we're not seeing fruit here or, or some of us have given ourselves over to these false uh, deeds of darkness. And, and the Bible says, do you want to know how you destroy darkness? Think about this. How do you destroy light? What do you do? Do you scream at it? No. Do, and let's get really practical. If it's dark in here, do I pray about it? Well, I guess maybe you probably should. How, how do you destroy light or destroy darkness. What do you do? Turn on the light, right? And so this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, don't forget this. This is, wow, this feels very, uh, this is my big point. This is, I feel like, like I'm, I'm literally swinging a sword at you. He's saying, don't forget guys, that light is in you, but we've also got to walk in that light. And when you turn on the light, darkness cannot survive where there is light. And he says, we need to expose those things. And, and remember, guys, part of exposing that means that we talk to one another about it. Some of us, we, it's as simple as this. We've got darkness in our life that we need to just bring it to light and let the light do what it does. Honestly, honestly, there are people in this room that we have been battling darkness in one area of our lives for years. For Some of y'all have been battling something for decades. I'm not exaggerating but you've never brought it to light. It's, it's just between me and Jesus, and it, it's, you, you may not even write it in journals, you may not even speak it out loud, but it's, it's this battle that's in your head, and it's just you're living in darkness. And the scriptures say, bring it to light. 
And so that involves, that's why I always encourage people, write things down. Write, you can call it a, it's definitely not a diary for the dudes. It's, but it, we'll call it a journal, maybe. Write things out. Are you, are you saying these things to others? Are you, are you bringing your burdens to other Christians? This is why James even says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. There's some people in this room that have never been healed. That in certain areas, their heart is hardened, but we won't bring it to light. And Jesus says, ex- or that's what Paul says right here. He says, expose those fruitless uh, deeds of darkness. And here's the thing is when you expose them, I promise uh, your eyes will no longer be on yourself, but they'll be on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, right? Uh, when I was a youth pastor, we used to, one of my favorite games we would play is at the church. We had, uh, it was called sardines, and I've told you this before, but some of y'all are old, so you've forgotten it already. Um, <laughs> thank you for laughing, Jason. Uh, it was a game that we play in the entire church. We turn off all the lights, um, and the game is you pick uh, one person, or we'd pick two people, and they would be it. And the game is reverse hide and seek. It's called sardines, and so it's like these two people would go hide, and I mean the church is is pitch black. I think there's like the emergency exit lights on, and we said you can't use flashlights. And what you would do is you'd get in teams of two, and so you'd have like 10 or 15 teams of two of people walking around. And what you do in this game is you walk around, and when you finally find the people who are hiding, what you do is you just hide next to them, and you curl up. And so sometimes people would hide, like I remember one time Jayla hid in the balcony of the sanctuary. They hid underneath the pews. And so she was tucked under, and so, but that's the game, is when you find them, you, you don't scream and yell, you quietly tuck in, and you gather there right next to them. And so as the game goes on, if you're still looking for the people, you'll notice there's fewer and fewer people looking, until finally the end, you're like, well, I, I'm the only one left. And it would be fun, because the game would end, it's called sardines, because you'd end up having like 20, 30, 40 kids packed into a tiny area, as small as you could get, and the whole time everyone's like, Shh, stop talking, who's touching me, man, man, you know, kids being kids. Uh, and that's why it's called sardines. But it's interesting because every time when we finally got the last person in the room, we'd be like, hey, you know, uh, what we would do is we would turn on the light. Um, and when we turned on the light, and please just hear this statement, we would look around and we were all in the same place. When we turned on the light, we realized we're all in the exact same place. And I can promise you, when you expose things in your life to the light, you will, the light comes on and you will look to your left and you'll go, wait, you, you're in the same situation I am? And then you'll look to your right and you'll go, you, you guys have struggled with this too, right? And there is incredible freedom there incredible freedom um, and that's where growth occurs that's where freedom and and that's where chains that's where thorns are broken down that's where people walk in freedom for the first time they've never felt in years and years is they expose these things to the light and you let the light do uh, what the light does and so this is what I want to do um, for a couple of minutes we've never done this before but I want to give everybody a time 
I want our prayer to be, Lord, where, where have I hardened my heart? Where am I calloused? Lord, what deeds do I need to expose to you? And so I've got some questions. We put these questions up here. What we're going to do is we're just going to play a song. Um, and I want you to s- just stay in your seat. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird or anything. And I want us to, as a church, be praying through these things. And if you're taking notes, write these things down. And, and here's the thing is where God speaks to you, let him speak truth. You know, don't fight it. Because guys, I'm telling you, especially men in this room, don't you feel that tension right now of like, hey, we're called to do life together. But probably men in the room were also thinking, no, I've been hurt before, I'm not doing it again. I'll never go through that again, right? That's, that's not from the Lord, that's a hardened heart rather than expose that uh, to the light. So let's play this song. I don't know what song you picked. I hope it's a good one, Nick. Um, and yeah, just, just by yourself here. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message. Thank you for the way you've spoken to each of us. Not only help us to examine our lives, but force us to examine our lives. These are the only ways we can grow closer to you. Teach us to pray. Teach us to love. As a very intelligent person told me the other day, be specific in your prayers. Ask God specifically. He hears enough general requests, enough wishy-washy questions for him. Be there for us and help us to be specific and worthy in our prayers. In your name we pray, amen.